0: Welcome to Shotgun Story, the podcast that has conversations with indie creators about music, meaning, and the point of it all, so that you may be inspired by the journeys of other artists who are doing it for themselves, and maybe gain a little more understanding as to why it matters quite so much that you keep creating. Benji Moody has been in the business of making music for over 40 years. In 1998, he founded the independent South African music label Fresh Music. He has been responsible for signing and developing some of the most successful artists in this country, Squeal, Mango Groove, Little Sister, Vicky Sampson, Coffield Mondi. And
1: a whole lot more.
0: And a whole oh that, <laughs> It's so exciting, actually. I have to pinch myself a little. In fact, I'm not going to read any more of your bio. Yeah. Wrap
1: it up and just throw it out to window. Hello, exactly. Tori.
0: <laughs> Hi, it's so exciting. (laughs) Uh, First things first, though, Mm. are you a musician yourself?
1: I'm a failed musician. (laughs) When I say failed musician, I mean, I spent the early part of my life playing in a band. Um, um, First as a singer back in the early 70s and then as a bass player for a very embryonic air void. So we were called Void. We were all from the same little town on the East Rand called Brackpan. Yes. And so um, the bass player had to go to the army, and so I was told to go and get a bass. I went and bought a bass, taught myself to play in two days, and then joined the band. We played what were called sessions, you know, in those days. And we played around the East Rand, Jameson, Boxburg, Benoni, etc., etc. And then I moved to Hillbrow and started my journey in the music business.
0: Now, backtrack for just Mm. a moment. When you say sessions... What are you referring to? So sessions were, they
1: weren't clubs. They, they, they were school halls or church halls. Uh, they would hire a band. There were no DJs in those days. Yeah. They would hire a band and you would have a dance. And all the girls would be on one side and all the boys on the other side. And the parents and the people that looked after the place were there and everything. And you danced and got to meet girls and boys and listen to, to the hits of the day being played generally. Or if it was a psychedelic band, it would be a psychedelic psychedelic band i saw a very early version of rabbit there um so we used to have one called happy teens (laughs) when i was about 17 and that was the highlight of my month was going to happy teens meet girls
0: wow i mean it's not a terrible idea if people were interested in other non-dj stuff
1: these days yeah it would be great i mean there were clubs but they were for you know people much older Mm. so sessions were the way to hear music and see live music and and meet people
0: and did you find when you were playing the sessions that you had to play a lot of covers music? We were,
1: <laughs> we were sort of the equivalent of a jam band. I mean, we played, you know, Radar Love by Golden Earring and we played Get Ready by Ray Earth. So they were all long songs, <laughs> uh, inevitably, uh, you know, 10 minutes, 15 minutes long so with bass solos and guitar solos and drums. So. And we were the local, in, in, in the East we were the local hippie band. Okay. You know, and, yes. and we were a stoner band as well. So, I mean, you know.
0: Yes, of that day, I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah. And the band was called Void. Is that anything to do with E-Void?
1: Yeah. Is that- so Void was the embryonic version of E-Void. So it was Lucian Windridge, a guitar player, who I think when we played together was only about 15. Mm. I wasn't much older. And we had a crazy Australian drummer called Aidan Carter who used to set his drums alight <laughs> as part of the act. Wow. Um, and depending on how wasted he was, he would either do that at the end of the show, which is when he was supposed to do it. He had this thing that he would take the side tom-tom
2: yeah. and
1: pour methylated spirits on it, set it alight, put it on his head and run into the crowd. <gasps>
0: Oh my God! But
1: sometimes he got so wasted on swimming pools and rum mm-hmm. that he would do it at the beginning of a, a song, oh and, no. and cause absolute havoc, which led to us being banned from several venues on the East Rand. So we were kind of like a three-piece. Yes, and we, and we just played all the time, and we, you know, we all got stoned, and you know. But
0: you were fairly well known.
1: We were well known on the East Rand: Springs, Benoni, Boxburg, mm-hmm. Kempton Park, Jermiston. We were known there. Uh, we were also known for emptying out a venue very quickly.
2: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Which happened once out in Kempton Park where we were hired by what was then SAA's um, technical college training Christmas party. Mm-hmm. And they thought they were getting a band that would come in and play the hits. Yes. And what they got was a bunch of three-piece stoner band playing at uh, excruciating volume. And uh, they pulled the plug on us, On actually pulled the plug on on the electricity and we were chased out of the hall and pursued halfway back to Brackburn by all these angry apprentices you know so it was a a lot of fun
0: (laughs) I mean it's a bit relieving to hear that because I kind of feel like that's a metaphorical version of some of my own life career so except without the fire and people (laughs) chasing me out it was fun so what drew you to the business side of the industry When
1: I was about 19, I moved to Hilbra. Hilbra Mm -hmm. was the epicenter of of music. Just to backtrack there, I've always been obsessed with music. Okay. Since I can remember And I grew up in a house that had music all the time So it was a very important part of my life From a very early age And I went to Hillbub because hillbub was where, where it was at It was where, where the bands played Where where you could be yourself and living So I moved there and I worked at the Hillbub Flea Market In a record store So it was my first job Amazing Working in a record store And that Led to working in another record store across the road from High Point, and that's where I met the guys from Warner Records South Africa. They used to come in on a Friday afternoon in their little station wagon, filled with records, and they would say, "How many copies of Rumours Fleetwood Mac do you want for the weekend? How many copies of Hotel California?" And I was the store manager. Wow! I would oh go, "That's what I want." And they they dug me, and I dug them, and they said to me, "Hey, do you want to come work with us?" And I said, "Okay." So, for three hundred rand a, a month, I went and worked for Weir Records, and that 's how I got into it working in and It was yeah. fun because because it was just music, 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 and party, party party mm-hmm. and so it was the ideal and still is the ideal lifestyle yeah and then um I kind of discovered that I had the knack of hearing things that worked. Mm that appeal to a wider audience, I also learned not to bring my taste into it and to go outside of the norm because somebody said to me in an interview a few months ago, you know, did you sign commercial artists? And I said, nobody is commercial when Mm. they start. They are just musicians. It's just music. So whether you like Rammstein or ABBA, it's the same thing. It's music. It only becomes commercial when it finds a wider audience and sells. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thereby making the label very rich and the artist not so rich. (laughs) which I think you probably know. Uh I began this journey within Weir Records, um, and I was a promo guy, and then I became a label manager, and then I became the marketing manager, and then I became the A&R manager. And through the next 21 years, I signed and developed a whole host of artists, Mm. different genres. It was never and never has been, never was uh, a thing where I'd go, oh, well, that's commercial. I'm going to sign that. Yeah. So I would effortlessly glide between uh, punk in the late 70s, National Wake and Wild Youth, to jazz, Machalemele Mm -hmm. and Malombo, to Mango Groove and Lazy Way Darling and Elvis Blue. So it didn't matter what they were doing musically, If it triggered in me something, that intangible thing that... As a record guy, you you, you never understand. You can't learn it, you can't go to college, you can't get a degree. Mm -hmm. You just know this will work Yeah, if it gets played, (laughs) which is another story.
0: (laughs) A whole other story. Okay, highlights of your career. Three of them that make you pinch yourself to say, Oh my gosh, I was there. Wow,
1: that's a hard one. Obviously, Mango Groove, simply because... It was a decision that I took completely in the moment. It was a decision that I took on meeting a manager. I had a lot of success with Mark Alex, you know, the big song Quick Quick and everything. And and I needed a manager for them. So I called Roddy Quinn, Mm. who I've I've known for many, many years. And Roddy came in and we talked about it. He said, yeah, I'll manage him and everything. He said, look, I've got to go. And I said, where are you going to go? He said, I'm going to Gallo because I'm going to go and sign Mango Groove to Gallo. I said, Mango Groove. Now, I remember Mango from the mid-80s. They were not a a big band. I mean, they were kind of an arb, alt band. I said, oh, why? What what have you done? He said, we've done this album and we've done these two videos. And I said, well, show me. (laughs) And he showed me the videos. And I said, what did Gala offer you? And he gave me the figure and I said, I will double that. And I didn't. Get it approved. I just went ahead. Not that I'd, I never had to ha- have yeah. approval, it was the way that it worked there. And I signed them and I thought, I'm, I'm good for a gold album here. Must be, must be. It was just so so vibrant, the music. And then it went gold, and then it went platinum, and then it went double platinum, and then it went triple platinum, and then it went quadruple. I think in the end it sold about half a million records. So that one, from a success point yeah. of view, it was like, wow, when is this going to end? Mm. It was good for three albums, but by the fourth it was kind of changing and and everything. So that that was something I was really proud of. Probably the Asylum Kids in 1981, they were a very revolutionary rock band with very strong political slant on the music Mm. about what was happening in South Africa. So from a... From that point of view, because I've always believed that rock and roll is revolutionary. Yes. Part of the problem with modern music is it isn't revolutionary anymore. It's grey and amorphous and it all sounds the same. The Asylum kids came along and kicked music in the butt and were saying things that people were scared to say and they were just great musicians and they were phenomenal lives. So that, that was a very, very prior time for me. Um, and I guess Cofield Mundy. Because I happen to think that she's probably not the most successful singer-songwriter, yeah. because that would be Nia Nell, yeah. right, that that I signed. But Cofield, I remember hearing the demos and going, oh, my God, I've got to do this. I don't care what happens. I've got to do this. Yeah. So that album, I still play in my car constantly. I love wow. it from a writing point of view. You know? yeah. There's so many, so many highlights, bands that, Worked. I mean, Air Void was also huge So in 82, they were the biggest band in the country And the Helicopters and the like And the other bands like Petit Cheval And all of those 80s bands, you know The new romantic bands and yeah. There's just been so many different kind of artists And, and then Falling Mirror from Cape Town, who I love I did five albums with them None of which sold <laughs> um, But I did them because I loved them Yeah. They were psychotic It's psychotic rock. I mean, both of them were in in Falkenberg Mental Institution. So they would come out and make these records and then fall apart again and have to go back in. And they wrote these incredible songs about, you know, murderous grannies and a boy alone on the throne and all these weird kind of things. And this this haunting haunting singer called Neil and Mirror and his cousin Alan. Uh, who is a phenomenal guitar player. So, but I did those five albums because, and I still love those records. Yeah. And they didn't sell because nobody knew what to make of it. They were the equivalent of early Pink Floyd. Okay. So, that again, a band that I still play, still love hearing them and wondering why they didn't be, why didn't you get it? You know?
0: I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that I've never even heard their name before. So that mm. is the first thing I'm going to do when we finish here.
1: Listen to Falling Mirror?
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, you'll, you'll know Johnny Calls the Chemist. No. You, you must know Johnny Calls the Chemist.
0: No.
1: That was the only radio hit we ever had. But l- the album you should listen to is probably um, The Storming of the Loft.
0: Okay, I'm writing that down Which right is all now. about
1: this obsession that the singer had with this, this girl who lived mm. in a loft. And it's all about, and Johnny Calls the Chemist is about his obsession with the a chemist girl, yeah. where he used to go and get his, his meds from. And no, it's, if anything, interesting. Oh, I'm excited. So there's just been so many artists.
0: How have you seen the industry change? Because you've been involved for yeah. a long mm, time.
1: Mm. I've seen a change from being more artist oriented. Mm. and development-orientated. Look, it was always, the record industry was about making money, as as any business is, about making money yeah. for the owners or the investors or whoever. But we had a formula at Weir, which became Tusk Music. Mm. We had a formula of having fun because fun would lead you to success and success would mean money. Yes. And so we had a lot of fun. We kicked against the system. Uh, we did things that nobody else did. We, but we had a ball doing it. And you signed artists because you wanted to develop them. Because when you sign an artist, nine times out of ten, if not nearly ten out of ten, that first album doesn't work. Yeah. So you go, do I really love this artist? Yeah, I do. Let's make another record. So you make another record. Now yeah. Pauling is a very good example of that. Five albums. And only one of them made a little blip on the register. So you you would develop an artist because you believed in the music and the message that that artist was putting out. That's gone now in the modern music business. Yeah, There, there are other obvious things like the physical format has changed from vinyl to CD and then back to vinyl. Mm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, downloaded followed by streaming. And streaming is obviously being the, the big format now, which I find quite soulless. Uh, yeah. To be honest with you, so there's no artist development in the labels anymore. It's you come in, you're a number, you drop a track. They love that word "drop." <laughs> I want to drop this track. Like, Why don't you say release? You know, mm-hmm. but they drop this track, and it's either a hit or it's not. If it's not a hit, you're out, gone bye. Yes, because the reason that the music business went from being A secondary business in America in the early 60s before the Beatles to being gigantic in the 70s and being a multi-billion business Mm. is because of the development of music, the development of new styles, development of bands coming in, people believing in those artists and champing them. I mean, Fleetwood Mac, eight records before rumours. you know. So that doesn't happen anymore. And that was always a lifeblood. I mean, you're not right every time when you sign an artist. Yes. Sometimes you're wrong. <laughs> it doesn't work. Or you're the only one who gets it. Yes. I mean, I had a, an artist that, I, again, I do play him still quite a lot, uh, called Nikki Daly, and he made an album called Living in the Suburbs, mm. and it's about living in South Africa, and it's this arcane, bizarre record that only I got. Yes. Nobody else got it. <laughs> but I didn't care. Mm. I wanted to put it out. Yes. That was always the rule with us, is if I loved it and if I was passionate about it, then I would do it. And if it worked, fantastic. Kept the, the MD happy. If it didn't, meh, Yeah. Didn't really matter. The music was there.
0: Oh, I mean, that's really sad that we've lost that artist development because, I mean, we could have the next – Rumours from someone releasing stuff now And you, we just don't give them a chance
1: But also the labels The whole dynamic and the structure of labels Have changed Labels used to be populated with people who loved music Yeah Primarily, particularly in the 70s and 80s mm-hmm. l- Less so in, in, in now In fact, almost Nobody in, in labels now is, Loves music Not the way we love music Yeah, And they don't go and see artists <laughs> I always needed to see somebody Uh, It was really important to me to go and see what they were like live. Mm. Now with the advent, which is the scariest part of AI now, is that you can create songs that sound like Taylor Swift or sound like X, Y, and Z. Perfect pieces of thing from artificial intelligence without any work being put into it by as a writer, you will know that without having to sit and sweat with a pen on lyrics and go, oh, that line just doesn't work. Can I do it to another line? Yeah. It's so simple now. Boom, 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 pull it out, hit, bump, gone. So here today, gone tomorrow. Yes. And, and so, and I said this the other day as well, we will never have another Queen, we will never have another Bowie, we'll never have another Hendrix or Kurt Cobain mm. or Bob Marley. Those giants. That will live as long as Beethoven has lived. That's gone, though. Mm-hmm. Who's going to remember Dua Lippa in 50 years' time? Nobody. Yes. Because the songs are vacuous. It, it, it's vacuous music, vacuous artist. Yes. Yes, it's pop. You know, pop's always been vacuous. I think. <laughs> but there was always something in it, in good pop songs, mm. in writing. I'm a great lover of writers, of great pop songs. Yes. I think the ABBA guys were brilliant songsmiths. I mean, Waterloo is just. Piece of magic. And then so is Ramstein. Ramm, I love yes. Ramstein. So it's all about songs. And that today, it's there's no songs, there's no all oh, this development. Media's changed. Radio's no longer the gatekeeper. Yes. Now it's YouTube and, and, and streaming, Spotify. Young people generally, kids these days um, only take little bite size munches on music. They, d- they don't embrace albums, mm. they only embrace a song. And that song is very temporary. It might be a day, it might be a week, but that song's then forgotten and the next song comes up. So there's no dipping into an art. And and this is not to generalize all young people because that's not true Mm because a lot of young people get into albums. But you can't listen to another brick in the wall without understanding the context of what that song's about. Yeah. You have to listen to the wall. Yeah. You know, Rumours is about the breakup of two couples in a band. You have to consume the album to understand what Dreams is about and Go Your Own Way is about. So you don't have that now. And I did an experiment with my, my youngest boy uh, um, a few years ago. And he was like, oh, you've got to hear this song. You've got to hear this song. We're in the car going to school. And he plays me a song. I go, mm, yeah, OK, this is the best song ever. I'm going to love this song forever. A week later I said, what was that song that you played last week? You're not playing it anymore. You say, what song? (laughs) Yes. So that's how the modern music industry operates now. Yeah. Is song, hit, no hit, money, bank no development. Sad.
0: Really sad. And I suppose that's what excites me about independent music because uh, there's less money, certainly, Mm. and less label interest. Mm. But it feels... Really? Because people are invested in themselves, creating music to create music and not necessarily about the money.
1: Well, that's 100% correct. I mean, I've always said that that's why musicians make music is for themselves. Mm. They don't make music for the public. Nope. They make music for themselves. And if you go into the modern music business saying, I'm going to be rich, you're in for a very rude awakening. Mm. You've got to go in with the right ethos the right passion, and that is to make music. You have something to say, say it. Your audience will find you. It's going to be, you're right, it'll take longer. You might not make a lot of money. You might not make any money. Yes. But you will be true to yourself and you'll be writing these songs and putting these songs out and somewhere somebody's going to go, oh my God, I feel like that. Mm -hmm. That is gold. You know that as an artist. That's gold when somebody listens to your song and goes, oh, Tori, I, I, I feel like, like that. Mm. That's what the beauty of music, isn't it? The great communicator.
0: It is. I mean, I feel a little bit weepy and I've got goosebumps and that's exactly what you said is exactly yeah. the truth.
1: But I do get young artists coming to me. They come to the shop. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a vinyl store and they come to the shop and they go, uh, I'm an artist. And I go, cool. And I always say, why are you making music? And I've had, I've had mainly boys say like, oh, I I want to make money We're in the wrong business, dude. Can't make money. You've never been able to make money out of the music business uh, unless you controlled your art and, yeah. and your rights. But they come in and, and they go, well, can you get me to a label? I say, why do you want to go to a label? They can't do anything for you. Yeah. They can't. They can't do anything for you. They're not the gatekeeper on radio. If you think radio is still the tastemaker that it used to be, radio was a tastemaker for decades. Yeah. But the internet changed all of that, you know. And the minute that people had free access to sound and to make their own decisions, record companies become superfluous. So I say to them, go make your music, make it for your own self, put it out there and then be clever. Use the little tools that are there and be clever and work it, and stop thinking that somebody's going to make you the next Taylor Swift or the next Prince, because it's not going to happen. It doesn't happen like that anymore. It doesn't. No, no.
0: I had a young artist the other day ask me that very question, what would be my recommendation about going independent or looking for a record label? And it's pretty much exactly that. I mean, are there any pros to signing with a label these days?
1: Unless they give you a shitload of money. Okay. (laughs) Um, No, no. There are no pros. Unless you're a priority in a label, unless somebody carries the sword and shield for you within that label and says, you know, take you, for instance, I, I'm, I love Tory stuff, so I'm, I'm going to champion her and, mm. and that short, you're championing inside the label. Unless they put money into you to to work with you to develop it. No. And that doesn't happen these days anymore. It doesn't yeah. happen because there's no empowered, impassioned people within labels generally. Yes. I mean, I, Generally, there just isn't. And I mean, I'm still very in touch with what's happening inside the labels. Some of them are my friends are still working there. Mm. Um, I chose to walk out of it in 2013 when I saw what was happening. And I saw the contracts being offered to artists. Yeah. And I couldn't all honestly say to an artist, sign this. Yeah. It was – do you remember when when Prince wrote Slave on his forehead? I don't know if you remember that story. Because he felt that, that Warners were enslaving him as an artist. That's how I felt when I looked at it. And there and then I made the decision. I said, that's it. I'm finished. I'm out. Yeah. Couldn't do it anymore. To young artists, I say, go and do your own thing. Your audience will find you. You're going to have to work hard. You're going to starve. Mm-hmm. Right? Get a second job because you're going to need it. Yes. <laughs> and just measure, art for art's sake. Yeah. You know, that's how it was and how it should be. But it isn't at the moment.
0: So now, an indie artist releasing their own music, Mm. would you recommend that they start their own small label?
1: Mm. And only own publishing because. Publishing is very important. Copyrights are very important because copyrights live long after you've departed this mortal coil. Your copyright is still there. That's why, as you probably know, people like Springsteen and Paul Simon and others have been able to sell their catalogue of songs to these big companies because they've written these songs and they've owned these songs. You must own your work to give it away willy-nilly on a wing and a prayer and a promise to a publisher is, is, is madness. It's career suicide.
0: So I did that, unfortunately, mm. with my first albums. Mm. And this one I released last year is the first material that I actually own.
1: That you own, yeah. Yeah. Because
0: if something
1: happens and you, the beauty about songs... And indeed, writing songs is you never know what they're going to do. They're like little wild animals in a cage you let out now and then. <laughs> and sometimes, years down the line, somebody goes, I love that track. I'm working on an ad for Be Heard. I'm doing a TV ad. That'll work fine. And they go, Okay, who's, who wrote this? Oh, that person wrote, Okay, here, here's a shitload of money for you. We want the rights to put it on our TV ad. Yeah. Boom. But if it's with a publishing company, you lose big time. Yep. So always. Always, always retain your copyrights. Yep. If you don't like paperwork, do a paperwork deal with a publisher mm-hmm. where they, they take a percentage, and in turn they take care of Samro, Sampro, da, 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 da. In terms of master use, you have to control your master. Yes. Again, it's the same principle. If you give it away to them, you know, the Beatles never owned their songs. Wow. You know that. They signed it away. And then Michael Jackson bought them, and then somebody else bought them. McCartney and Lennon Harrison, the star, never owned their work. You know? And it's important to own your work. Yeah. It's your work.
0: Now those master rights are generally owned by the person who pays for the recordings, yeah. right? Yeah.
1: Okay. And that's the dilemma mm. that artists have. I've got no money. Mm-hmm. I need to record these songs Hello, Mr. Money Lender, lend me some money. Mm. And they lend you the money to make it, and in return you give them the rights. Yes. It's not a good deal. I understand it happens. Yes. But it's not a good deal. No. Not ever been a good deal for anybody. A good example is Nia Nell. Nia Nell owns all her music. Mm. music. She owns the publishing and she owns the master use. And all she did was lease it out. So when I met her in 2002... She had just done the first album. She came to me last. <laughs> She'd been to all the major record companies and half of them didn't know what to make of it, yeah. the music. This Celtic, Irish, folky kind of sound that she was doing with all the, with that voice. Yes. And then she came to me and I said, hey, let's do a partnership. We did a partnership. But we did a partnership on the record itself and the profits from the record, but not on the publishing. I said yeah. to the publishing shows, keep it. And the master use, keep it. Yeah. We'll take the pot, we'll take marketing out of it. So we'll do it together. We, we planned everything together. We discussed campaigns together. We, we evaluated the campus and we're going to spend that, that, and that. We took that out of the pot and that, what was left, we went, okay, half for you, half for me. Yeah. Worked perfectly. But she made all the money on the publishing and she retained her rights. Now that's the ideal situation. Absolutely. You know, but you have to set that up right in the beginning when you're an artist.
0: So when you started Fresh, yeah. who helped you with the business side? I mean, you'd obviously been involved, so you knew what went with it. But in terms of all the administration, how did you find out about what to do? You know, how would an artist I knew now? what to do. Yeah, you,
1: I, you knew I, what to do. I knew, I knew what to do uh, when I created Fresh. So what happened was that after 21 years with, with Tusk, yeah. or which was weird than Tusk, I was a shareholder and a director of the company, and we made this decision, which I always thought was the wrong decision, but we made the decision to sell the company to Gallo. Mm. And I immediately said, well, then I'm out. And so we got out. I went away for a year, traveled in Southeast Asia, Mm. thought about a came so I'm going to open another label. I'm going to open it. It's going to be South African Music Only, Mm. and we're going to work on the model of 50-50. You still have your own pub. You own the publishing. I don't own the publishing. You own the master rights, but we do that principle. I said now mm-hmm. is 50 50 split of profits. So I did the contracts. I know contracts very well. I did the accounting. I, I do numbers. I hate doing numbers, yeah. but I can do them. So I knew what to do and I knew how to work radio because I'd done it myself and I'd had staff doing it. I knew how to work the press. I knew how to work television. So I did it all. It was fresh, was one person yes. doing everything. Wow. It was, uh, yeah, it was Fly by the Seat of Your Pants, especially with with Black Sunshine, which was a massive album for me. I love that album. Yeah, talking about A&R, there's the perfect example. You hear something and you go, I don't know what it is, but there's something there. So Born in a Taxi, Mm. two men with acoustic guitars, a little bongo in the background and a very, very distant bass line with no real chorus. Yes. Just do, 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 was, and there was just something, and I thought, that'll work on radio, mm. and it did, it exploded, and that led to doing the deal with Santam, where we licensed them the song for the Santam ad, and we all made a like shitload of money yeah. on that, but, but. <laughs> That was the whole thing. I didn't know. I, I didn't go, oh, my God, that's going to be ahead. I just yeah. knew there was something there. So that and and Nianel, I mean, that was all in and Cofield were all at one time. So mm. it, was, it was a hell of a two years, three years. Sure.
0: Now, an indie artist then wanting to start something like that themselves, how would they find out about that kind of administration involved? Like, how do you know what to do, or where to begin? Well, that's a good question because there
1: aren't really any – seminars on that, yeah, on how to do that. And I have to say that a lot of what I've just spoken about has come from years of, of experience doing it yes, and making mistakes along the way. So the best thing I can say to an independent artist is that you, you have to sit down before you do anything and have a battle plan. Yes. Understand that if you're going to take any of options A, B or C, that you understand the ramifications of mm. that. So if you're going to – and I'm not saying don't go to a label, mm. but understand what you're doing. Yeah. If you're going to be absolutely indie, understand what you're doing mm. over there. If you think that you want to get your records heard on radio, then hire a plugger. Yes. There's some really great pluggers out there. Some of them are my friends. Mm. Then hire somebody because radio is still – it's harder to get people to listen to stuff now. Yes. I mean, there used to be a time when you could go – I could pick up the phone and go – Hey, I'm coming in. I've got something to play you, and I'd go in and play them in. Oh, that's that's a mofo hit, man. That's that's going to be monstrous. <laughs> play it, and he'd go. I'll put it on the air now, and yeah. you'd be on the air in two minutes mm. with a great song. A good example of that, believe it or not, is is Elvis Blues uh, Lighthouse. Yeah, I mean that track with that piano chord, doom 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 doom. Doesn't sound like a hit single, mm. but it was. When I took that to radio, I went and I was so excited and I went in and said, listen to this. This is going to be huge. And they and went, yeah, yeah, I think it is. I'll put it on the NL and they put it on the NL. Oh, and of wow. course, they're, they're what we always call in the business exploding phones, where the phones go, Come on, what's that, <sighs> what's that, what's that, what's that. And Lighthouse was
0: massive. Oh,
1: massive, wow. massive.
0: Yeah, there's something so exciting about the immediacy mm. of that, of radio.
1: It is. Unfortunately, now to get to see, to see a radio person is very, very difficult. They don't want to see you. They're not, they're not interested in you. They're not even interested in music.
0: No, totally. And I think the problem is the DJs themselves aren't really choosing their own music, I don't think.
1: No, no. The DJs are, well, they're not really DJs. They're presenters. They're yeah. data presenters, as I call them. Mm. Well, where's the new Alex J or the new Barney Simon or, or the new Shadow Toile? I mean, they don't exist now. You've got these... Little grey people on, on radio who talk about the weekend and what they did with their mates and and laugh and, and talk crap. Mm. You know, nothing about the music. Not about, hey, you should go and check the, I saw this this actor last week. They were brilliant. Go and check them out if you see them. Yes. If you see they're playing in your area. That's what it used to be like. Yes. But it's it's not anymore now.
0: Oh. No. That's a little bit sad. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk vinyl.
1: Mm. Lovely.
0: Okay. Is there a market for an artist to press vinyl these days? Yes. Yes. Yeah. They're people who buy.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Every man and his dog is pressing vinyl at the moment. All artists are pressing vinyl. So you've got Spotify, yes. right? Um, you've got all the other platforms, Deezer and Tidal, and all of them. And then you have vinyl, this weird. Return to the roots thing started about seriously about 10 years ago. There had always been record collectors when vinyl peaked, and I was there. When vinyl peaked in about 92, mm. and CD came in around about 85, they journeyed together a bit like uh, Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. Mm. They, they, they lived, they coexisted for a while, but then. Final Fell Away, CD became the new thing, portable, pristine, perfect sound. I always had a problem with that. I didn't want perfect sound. <laughs> you know, my life's not perfect. Yep. You know, it's full of static. And then all of a sudden you started seeing ads on television, in films of record players, and somebody playing a jazz record or whatever. And it started with that, and I picked it up in, in two thirteen actually. And it was one of the reasons why I decided to walk out of the music business is I said, something's coming. is it the, the, You know, it's that kind of like feeling. A, there was a hunch, something something's going to happen.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I took a flyer and left this hugely well-paid job at Universal <laughs> Music and decided to open a vinyl store. And, I mean, it's been great. It's not always easy, yes. but it's, it's great. I get to listen to music all day and talk to people about music all day. Oh, it's dreamy. So what else, you know? For a music junkie like me, it's, it's perfect. People love the immediacy of vinyl, mm-hmm. and they love the artwork. It's that tangible, visceral thing with records. You take the record, you put it on the play, you drop the needle, and then maybe a bit of a crackle, and then all of a sudden something comes out. Yeah, And that's, I think, been music's... Thing all along since the dawn of sound is that, that first listen when you hear something and you go, Oh my God, how does this work? Yes. I still get kids coming and going, How do you hear the music? Mm. I go, Well, there's a little needle <laughs> and you drop it on there and it goes through the wires and, and they're like fascinated. And then you open the artwork and you show them the. They love it. So more and more young people have gravitated towards vinyl simply because it's real yes. and their world has become so unreal. So it's become a big thing. Mm. It's and, and and so I've got vinyl junkie down in Blair Gallery, where I go to every day, and and people come in and sell me records, and they buy records, and we talk about music. I get people that just come and sit and drink coffee, and we they say, "Tell me about tell me about Hendrix," yeah. you know, and then I'll tell them stories about mm. Hendrix. Or
0: and who locally is pressing?
1: You can't get anything pressed here. Okay, uh, there's no pressing facilities here. It's predominantly. The pressings are coming out of Europe, okay. out of uh, Eastern Europe, Czechoslovakia, Hungary, okay. places like that. But everyone's putting it out. I mean, Wendy Oldfield's put out, Vonne put out, Swingwork Nude Girls have put out, um, you know, uh, uh, Anna Wolf has put out. So, you know, there's, there's no great money in it. Uh, I've got to make that very clear. This is not like when CD came out and suddenly went, oh, my God, I've sold 20,000 CDs. You're not yes. going to sell 20,000 records. But what you're going to do is you're going to be presenting your work as a piece of art. Yes. And I think that's far more satisfying, I think, for an artist. Yes. And people love it, and they do well. I mean, I've done very well with Vonneboom, you know, the 25-year, was it 25 or 20, 20 years uh, anniversary of Vonneboom, and they put all their hits on, on one record. So that's that's gone really well.
0: So for somebody looking to start a record collection, Mm. what five albums would you start with? Oh,
1: my God. Jimi Hendrix Experience, Axis Baldur's Love, the second album, Mm -hmm. 1967. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon, 1974. Wow, I've got so many. Do you know how many records I have? (laughs) I have so many records that I absolutely love. What's Going On, Marvin Gaye. Um, Miles Davis Birth of the Cool mm-hmm. and one of my favorite abstract artists called The Blue Nile from Scotland they only make records every sort of eight or nine years um, but there's an album called High that I really love but that's not everybody's taste. I mean, I, I should—I I could say so many things. I could say Led Zeppelin 4. I could say the Rolling Stones, Sticky Fingers, the Beatles. Oh, the Beatles Abbey Road. Yeah, I'd put the Beatles Abbey Road in there as well. <laughs> um, and then the newer stuff, I think I told you I love Rammstein. I love quite a lot of progressive, you know, hard progressive rock. Yeah. Uh, and lots of um, indie singer-songwriters. I love folk. I've found that, like, as I've got older, I've moved away from – All the heavy stuff that I used to listen to, Deep Purple, Zeppelin, Sabbath, and I listened to kind of blues, which was my original music that I got into when I was 13. And folk. Yeah. They they chill me, maybe because I'm more chilled now. Yeah. You know, not as hectic as I was when I was in the music business.
0: (laughs) That's wonderful, the progression. And that's a wonderful list. Of artists.
1: Yeah, it's just off the top of my head. And if you ask me in 30 seconds, probably give you another completely different five. Yes. It's just, there's just so much.
0: So now, on your way over here, what were you listening to?
1: I, w- what was I listening to? I was listening to Skunk and Nancy. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I love Skunk and Nancy. Um, I think Skin's one of the, the great singers in modern rock music. So there is great modern rock out there. Mm. So I, it depends on my mood. Yeah. So when I when I do every two days, go down the list of the CD my CDs, and go, okay, what should I listen to today? I normally pick 20, yes. and I, I put them in the car. And the, as I drive, then I decide what I feel
0: like. Okay, so consuming music in the car, for yeah. you, your castle has a CD player. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. amazing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Thank no, you. I'm I'm not bothered with uh, bluetooth thing, And, um, no, I like the whole, I like the thing of, let me pop that in, mm. see it slide in, then it comes out. No, CDs are still cool.
0: Yeah, they are still cool. Incredibly cool. <laughs> yeah. I'm driving my father's car at the moment, and he too has a CD player. And okay. So I've rediscovered the Cowboy Junkies.
1: Oh, love that band. Mm. Love that band. I mean, that first album is just you know, where they do, like, Me and the Devil Blues and stuff like that. I mean, she has got an incredible... Incredible voice. An incredible voice. Oh, great band, great band. Never massive. Yeah. So there's the point, about, but always remain true to what they, I mean, they could have been they could have been the cause, mm. you know, but yeah. they weren't. And they made, I think, seven, eight, nine records, and they've all been brilliant, and they've never sold out. They've yeah. just made the music. And that was the whole point, I think, what we were talking about in the beginning, is make the music for yourself.
0: Yeah, which leads me to the next question, mm. and one of our last questions. Mm-hmm. Advice for young indie artists starting out.
1: That's a very multifaceted question and answer. First of all, I think you have to start from the premise of what is it that you have. Mm. And the creative world is where everything stems from. Yeah. So work on your craft, work on your songs, work with people on your songs, not everybody's a Lennon and McCartney yeah. or a Bert Bacharach. So you need to work with other people because sometimes you're missing a bridge or a middle eight and somebody brings that in. Yeah. So work on your craft, work on crafting the songs and understand what you're trying to say and, 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 and how you want to say that musically. Mm. That's the first thing. And once you have that practice, 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 Mm. because that's the key, because Mm. you're going to have to go out live, and live is the keystone. Performance is one of the most important things. Work with other artists. Look around you. See what people are doing. Don't be scared to ask for advice. Proceed carefully from a business point of view. Mm. Don't jump at the first person who comes around waving a wad of cash, which I don't know if they do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) They used to, but I'm not sure they do it anymore. Um, If you can find someone that is not your friend Mm. but loves what you do, then get yourself a working manager because often they can help you uh, sail through all of the blockages that you have in the music business, and they can be a little bit more. Some artists, by their nature, or sometimes only see one thing. You need somebody to l- bring up different pictures for them to look at, mm-hmm. to understand. W- w- if you do X, that will happen, etc., etc. I mean, I've had it time and time again with artists where you, we would have an album, and they would say, "Well, what? I want this to be the single," and I go, "Well." if you 're looking to get airplay that 's not going to work mm. if you 're looking to get airplay that 's going to work and then comes that decision so don 't be scared to involve other people in the decision making process there 's a lot to it it 's not just writing a song and putting a song out there 's a lot of, a lot of things that go on so try and find yourself somebody that 's uh, has empathy with you as an artist mm. and then play play as much as you can play for nothing yeah. as long as you, you know as long as people hear you someone I always say. The beauty about being a musician is that you will always have a fan. Might only be one fan, <laughs> right? But you'll always have a fan. Yes. And, and you will have people that love what you do. And isn't that why you do it?
0: Yep. So if people want to get in touch with you, what is your preferred social media platform? Or is it email? Or is it coming into the store?
1: It's email. Email's easier for me. Mm-hmm. And, or you can come into the store. Happy to pass on advice. Sometimes, a lot of time, I don't have the time because I have people there. Yeah customers or whatever but but email fresh at icon.co.za is, is email is probably the best if you want to reach me don't expect long uh, rambling diatribes on how the business works because i just don't have the time to do it yeah but if you're looking for basic things then yeah you know i'm happy to i'm happy to advise people you're all a special breed of human being <laughs> artists you know I would not have done what I did in my life mm. with my career and the success that I had and the good times that I had and the bad times without musicians. Yeah. That's why I did it. It's because they created something that I loved and still love. Yeah. Um, so that's why I was successful at the end of the day. Not because I was this Plato like figure that had all these, these thoughts about how things were, it's because I loved the music. Mm. May it never change.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much for coming. Pleasure. Pleasure. This is incredibly valuable.
1: Good. I hope your fans enjoy it.
0: If you are an independent artist whose passion for what you do can inspire or fuel others, get in touch. I'd love to chat. You can find me on shotguntory.com.
2: You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts. And just leave the bow If I could tell you what makes the heart break I want to know if somebody, somebody Blood is always thicker, take away the bones Leave the door behind you E